So we've taken our time working through these verses because they're all very challenging. The title of this message is Baptism Saves with a question mark. Some of you know in the history of the church, there's been uh, a lot of ink spilled and a lot of uh, strong words about baptism in general, and especially about the idea that baptism saves. Some churches, uh, parts of the of uh, what's called the Christian church, uh, would stress it to the point where you would think that if you believe the way the Catholics do, you should just take a water hose and just start spraying people left and right. In fact, they've done that in certain countries. Baptism saves. But that's not quite what the Word of God is saying here. There's something else being said. And what we need to see as we look at this passage is, first of all, the big picture. This passage talks to you about the flood. This passage talks to you about your baptism. And this passage talks to you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those three events are events that are very important to understand in their proper relationship to one another. But one thing that's important to understand is that those three events take place outside of you. They are events that take place in history. But there's going to be a connection made in this passage between uh, some of those events and an internal work, an internal work that is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. That's the, the point that we need to get to in order to understand truly uh, what this passage is saying concerning baptism, concerning uh, the flood, and concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this passage, we've seen already that Christ is the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. We've seen that he is the one who gave himself the one for the many. He gave himself in order to bring us to God. Uh, he gave himself uh, by being put to death in the flesh. But he was raised. He was made alive uh, by the Spirit. We saw also that uh, there was a, a reference uh, to the, the preaching of Noah, which was the preaching of the risen Christ by the Spirit. Um, and we also uh, understand that this passage continues to talk to us about the flood. In verse 20, we uh, read about the divine long-suffering waiting in the days of Noah. God was very patient. God is allowing the ark to be prepared. Uh, Noah is a, a preacher, a herald of righteousness, and yet only eight souls are saved. We see the remnant. We see a small group of people who are saved through water. They are saved, and we read about them in Genesis chapter 8. Where did Noah and his family uh, enter when they, when they came out of the ark? It was a new world. It was a world in which the uh, sinfulness of the, of the world that then was, the sinfulness of those who opposed Noah, who opposed God, was dealt with. They were actually separated from that evil world by being saved through water. They were saved uh, while others were being judged by that very same water. And they came out on a new world. In fact, as we read that passage, it's striking that God actually says something to Noah that's an echo of what he said to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth, he says. He's giving Noah uh, the... Uh, mandate that is designed uh, to uh, cause the world to be populated again. These eight souls. So now 
we're being told in verse 21 that that flood is to be compared to baptism. But there's a very important word that's used in verse 21. It's the word antitype. The word antitype is a very significant word. It's a word that shows us that there is something that is being compared to the flood. And that is an antitype. An antitype means the reality, the substance, the thing that is in view when you have a type, when you have a picture in the Old Testament. It's first of all got to be symbolic. It's of an event or a person, but it also has to point to something that is going to be realized. And this uh, passage is saying that that antitype, the thing that's being realized, is what is being described in verse 21 and verse 22. That's important for us because we're looking forward uh, past the word baptism so that we don't get hung up on it to read the whole sentence. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, and then he immediately writes, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Because the idea is, is that we would view this as merely an external washing, an external cleansing. And that's the way many people look at baptism. It's something that cleanses you. It's something that makes you uh, pure before God. But how? How does it do that? That's what the rest of the verse is telling us. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. And then specifically through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the Holy Spirit is not going to let you focus on baptism and not see how the reality of what baptism points to is coming about. The flood and baptism are pointing us to something that has been accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what that is? A new world. A world where people are separated from the sinful world. A world where people actually can have a clear conscience before God. That's an internal work. That's a work that takes place on the inside. And it's accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, baptism is designed to show you something, but it's designed to show you something that has to be uh, understood properly in relationship to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because where the Holy Spirit is driving, where this passage is pointing us, is a good conscience before God. A conscience that is cleansed. In the sense of Hebrews 9, in the sense of having uh, a conscience that is objectively clean before God. You can give an answer. Because you have a clear conscience before God. How can that happen? How can there be uh, people who have a clear conscience before God? Aren't we all sinners? And see, this is the, the, the benefit of backing up and, and going all the way back to verse 18. To see that Jesus Christ has suffered once for sins. He suffered the just for the unjust. He suffered in order to bring us to God. He was put to death and he was made alive. The Lord Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection has become a high priest. He has become the one who is able to bring you to God. And the way that he brings you to God is through cleansing your conscience. Now that's something that mere external water baptism could not do. That's something that has to be understood through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
And so what the word of God is telling us, what, what Peter is telling us, is that there is a separation. There is a cleansing that takes place through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is pictured in our baptism. It was pictured in the flood as the, the people in Genesis 8 stood on a new world, a new creation, a world where they were separated from those uh, who opposed God and where God was starting anew. And that's what he's done through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? That's the gospel message. And one of the things that's very important about baptism is that we see that it points us to something that has been accomplished, not merely to something that is on the inside of us. A lot of times when we think about baptism, we think about faith, putting faith in Jesus Christ, and baptism being a testimony of that faith. And that's very important that we have that testimony. In fact, this passage tells us about the answer of a good conscience toward God. But you cannot answer that you have a good conscience if your conscience is not truly clear. And what this passage is telling us is that there has been an accomplishment of redemption, an accomplishment of redemption through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has cleansed your conscience before God. That is what has been accomplished. And that is what is pictured to you in your baptism. So when you uh, read the word of God, when you when you meditate upon uh, passages uh, that are in the word of God that uh, tell you about these realities, you have a new understanding of the glory of them and of the wondrous reality that has been accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We approach the supper and we read a passage like this, Psalm 51, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And do you know that the word of God tells you in 1 Peter uh, 3.21 that your conscience has been cleansed? It's not only that you're washed on the outside. It's not only that God has, has taken away some of the recollection of some of your sins that, that might creep back into your mind later in the week. No, it's talking about a conscience cleansing. It's talking about something that has been accomplished through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have been made clean. Because you see, if we are not made clean, then we need to tremble at the next words. Because Jesus Christ, who's been raised, has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. This is talking to us about the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's talking about Jesus Christ's session, sitting at, at the Father's right hand. In the Psalm 110 sense, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, a footstool. This is the one that has, this is the passage where we have just read about the flood. About eight souls being saved. How can we stand before this one? If he has not objectively cleansed our conscience. Angels and authorities and powers are subject to him. And yet your conscience is cleansed. Your conscience is made clear. You see, that's the work of Jesus Christ. The presence of Jesus Christ in the heavenly sanctuary, the presence of this risen one, this victorious one, has begun a new world. You've been separated from those who shake their fist at Jesus Christ. You see, baptism saves 
but it only saves because it points us to the work of the risen Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything that it means. If we understand our baptism correctly, if we understand our baptism uh, in light of this passage, we will understand that God has brought us into a new reality. This is what antitype means, a new fulfilled reality. The reality of having a good conscience before God. How how can that be? It's because Jesus Christ is an effective high priest. He suffered once for sinners. He doesn't need to suffer again. He suffered the just for the unjust, one for the many. You cannot take away from the righteousness of Jesus Christ before God because of your sin. But in fact, Jesus Christ can take away your unrighteousness before God. And that's why he is the one who died the just for the unjust. And the whole point was to bring you to God. But it's not only to bring you to God as as one who shrinks back in fear, as one who says, well, God will accept me, but I better find a place where I can hide some of the things that come to my mind. No. God has actually brought you into his presence through the resurrection of Jesus Christ with a cleansed conscience. He was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ is now ascended, sitting at the Father's right hand and Angels and authorities and powers are subject to him. You know that that uh, place at the Father's right hand. It's an important place. Um, there's a an account of King Solomon in the Old Testament when uh, his mother came to him, Bathsheba, to speak for Adonijah, and. 1 Kings 2, verse 19 says that the king rose up to meet her. And King Solomon bowed himself unto Bathsheba. And he sat down on his throne. And he caused a seat to be set for the king's mother. And she sat on his right hand. A place of honor. A place of royalty. King Solomon bows to his mother. And the Lord Jesus Christ has taken up this place at the right hand of God. And all angels and authorities and powers are subject to him. You might find someone who can tell you that you should have a dirty conscience. You might find someone who can, who can put a lot of pressure on you because they have some sort of authority. But before the throne room of God, where Jesus Christ sits, no angel, no authority, no power can take away the cleansing of your conscience. In fact, that's what Revelation 12 tells us. Revelation 12 tells us that the the devil, that ancient serpent, was accusing us day and night before God, before his throne room. And he has been cast down. Why? So that you and I might know that the accuser of our brethren, the accuser of children of God who are bought by the precious 
blood of Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, are set free. Revelation 12 tells us about a glorious event in which a loud voice cries from heaven. In Revelation 12, verse 10, and this is what it says. Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Do you know that the cleansing of our conscience by the work of the risen Lord Jesus Christ has great earthly benefit? It's what has developed people who are willing to be martyred for faith in Jesus Christ. And through these martyrs, God is bringing about the salvation of men and women and boys and girls around the world. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this accomplished reality, this antitype which saves us. We realize that baptism means much more when we view it through the lens of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The accomplishment of the cleansing of our conscience in the place where it counts in the heavenly sanctuary, the place where the accuser was day and night acting as the prosecuting attorney, and he is no longer able to live there. And that is the place where you have cleansed our conscience, where you have given us freedom and access, where you have given us the privilege of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ ascended, sitting at your right hand, and with rule over authorities and powers. And yet we are able to be in your presence with a clean conscience. And we ask, Heavenly Father, as we take this sacrament of the supper, and as we consider baptism and what it means, that we would be able to look at the accomplished reality that is in view, the accomplishment of the work of Jesus Christ that is being portrayed to us, that we might grasp the reality and not merely the symbol, that the symbol might point us to the reality of the accomplishment of redemption in Jesus Christ. We ask that in this way, you would make us bold witnesses, like those who do not love their lives, even unto death, because you have set us free. You have brought us into a new world, a new reality. And no one can take that away. So we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.